0: Today, we're looking at practical principles for Christian living. And I love the book of James because it's one of the most practical books in the entire Bible. It's amazing. And it's been fun for me as we've been going through James. I've been also teaching through Proverbs during the week on Facebook Live. And it's kind of like Bam Bam. It's sister books. Proverbs is about wisdom. James is about wisdom. And what we're learning about wisdom is wisdom is learning to live with skill. That's what the word wisdom means. It means skill skill in living a successful Christian life. And so as we're going through the book of James, it's teaching us skills. It's giving us tools on how to live a successful Christian life. And you know what? God wants you to have a successful Christian life. Did you know that? How do I know that? Because that's what the Word of God says. You know, Joshua 1, 1, 1.8, great verse from this, says this. This book of the law, which is the Word of God, shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that's written in it For then, as you get in God's word and you live by it, for then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have what? There it is right there. Success. God wants you to have a successful Christian life. And the key is getting in the word like we're getting into and then living it out. Because it says in Psalm 1, 2 to 3, it says that the blessed man is the man whose delight is in the law of the Lord. In his law, he meditates day and night. He'll be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, out of season, and, and does not wither. And whatever he does, what, is it, what, what does it say? He prospers. That's success. And it's not success of being wealthy and having millions of dollars. It's the success of living life correctly, the way we were created to live in God's image. And as we do that, Every day we got that choice, too, by the way. Every day we got the choice. Am I going to choose life or death? Am I going to choose blessing or cursing? And the admonition of Scripture is choose life. Choose to live a wise, successful Christian life. But to do it, too, we need tools. We need biblical principles that will help us live a successful Christian life. And I, I don't know about you, but as we have been going through James, as I've been going through Proverbs, I've been more and more stimulated towards loving good deeds and living a successful Christian life based upon the principles I'm learning in Proverbs and the book of James. So, if you have your Bibles, again, go back to James chapter 4. We're back in verse 11. And let's look at the first principle. I've given you five bullet points this morning. So there's five points that will help us live a successful Christian life as we go through this scripture. First one is in verse 11 through 12. If you're there, say amen. There we go. Do not speak against one another, brethren. He who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you're not a doer of the law. You're a judge of it. There's only one lawgiver and judge, the one who's able to save and destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? Now, the word speak against there, kataleo in the Greek, and it means speak down about somebody. It's very similar to the word that's used in Titus for uh, malicious gossip, because the word actually also means slander, slanderer. And what it's saying there is, as Christians, we should never be about speaking down, especially about other Christians. Why? Because if we're doing that, we're judging them. And it says there in that scripture, there's only one judge, and it's not you and it's not me, and it's who? It's God. Only God has the right to judge other people because only God knows people's hearts. Only God can see in his omniscience into people's motives, in their hearts, and what they're really about. And when we're judging people, especially when we're speaking against people in our judgment towards them, we're playing the part of God, and our job is not to judge. Our job, listen, our job is to love. That's the law. And it's going back to the law. And he says a part of living by the law is living by love. Why? Because we learned earlier in James that the royal law is love. What does that mean? The royal law is love means it's the king of all laws. What did Jesus say when He asked, "What's the greatest law? What's the greatest commandment?" Love God. With all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, and all your strength. This is the first and foremost command. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And on these two laws depends all the law and all the prophets. And when you're judging people with your words, especially, what you're doing there is you're putting yourself in the place of judge where only God deserves the right to be able to judge people. We don't. Our job is not to judge. Again, our job is to love. And church, we got to be careful in this area because one of the permissive sins in the church of Jesus Christ is slander and gossip. You know the word uh, for gossip there in Titus? It actually is, in the original language, it's diablos. Guess what English word we get from that? Devil. And you're, no more, you're never more like the devil than when you're slandering a brother or sister in Christ doing the devil's work. Why? Because the devil stands before God. Revelation 12, 11 says, and he's accusing the brethren night and day before the throne of God, and he's slandering us before God. And when we slander brothers and sisters in Christ and speak negatively about brothers and sisters in Christ, we're doing the devil's work. And that's why it says, let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth. And that's not just for swearing. That's for slander too. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only that for which is Good for building others up according to the need of the moment that it might give grace to those who hear it, right? I've been challenged on this, because I'm, I'm doing double duty here. I'm teaching James, which has a lot to say about being careful with your words, and then I'm teaching the book of Proverbs, which has a lot to say about being careful with your words. I'll give you some example, just from Proverbs that I've been learning as I've been teaching through Proverbs. Proverbs twelve eighteen. There's one who speaks rashly like the thrust of a sword, but the tongue of the wise brings what? Healing. Proverbs 15.4, a soothing tongue is a tree of life, but perversion in it crushes the spirit. Proverbs 18.21, death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. Proverbs 21.23, he who guards his mouth and his tongue guards his soul from troubles. And then Proverbs 31.26, about the virtuous godly woman, it says, a virtuous godly woman, she opens her mouth in wisdom and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. Wonderful. My grandpa on my mom's side was Papa DeBoer, one of the kindest men I've ever met, just a man of love. And Papa DeBoer was a real example to me of a godly man that was blessing people with his words all the time. Just being around him, he'd bless you. But even when you weren't around him, he'd bless people with his words about those people. And I remember I was thinking about Papa DeBoer and I was thinking of this bulletproof or this first bullet point in regards to uh, wisdom because I remember uh, hearing stories about Papa DeBoer after he passed away and and what he did was he helped start a church in Wheaton, Illinois first Christian reformed church in Wheaton, Illinois and uh, at the time they were starting the church and everything else he was also involved as a social worker in Chicago with juvenile delinquent kids and he just had a heart to help kids that were juvenile delinquents and, he, and he, he was one of the main leaders in the city of Chicago in helping reform and help juvenile delinquent kids. To the point that at that time, I was told later, uh, when my mom was just a teenager, Papa DeBoer was appointed by the president of the United States to run a, 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 a group, a, congregational or a congressional group in Washington, D.C. to help nationwide with juvenile delinquency. And so my mom, when she was 14, they moved to D.C. for a whole year well, my, my Papa Dora helped with this whole committee that was being put together to help with the juvenile delinquency across the country. But when Papa Dora, I was told later, came back to Wheaton, Illinois, a very conservative city, he came back to Wheaton, Illinois, and as the church was started and everything else, he was never asked to be a leader in that church. You know why? Because it was in the 1950s when McCarthyism was kicking in and anybody that was doing social stuff like he was doing with social work with helping with juvenile delinquencies he, he must be a communist and so they put my grandpa in a camp of communists and so he can never be a leader in this church he wasn't a communist he was just a man who was trying to help kids and I remember as a young kid my grandpa Set an example to me that even though he was alienated by his own church in some ways because of the way he was helping juvenile and with kids with social work, what happened was Grandpa DeBoer, Papa DeBoer, never said anything negative I ever saw about anybody in that church, and he stayed in the church. And he helped any way he could, even though he could never be a leader because he was a communist. He set an example to me, though. He only, only had good things to say about people in that church. He never, even though he was thrown under the bus because of the way he was helping kids in social work, he never said anything negative about anybody in that church. He just built people up with his words. There's wisdom in that. There's wisdom in being people that build with words rather than hurt. There's wisdom with being people that have words of kindness and grace about other people instead of words of bitterness and anger. And let's be wise like that. Amen? Let's use our words to bless people instead of curse people. And then when people are even cursing us, let's return, God bless you, and we overcome evil with what? With good. So first first bullet point, be careful with your words and speak adification of people instead of speaking down about people with your words careful with your words the bible is very clear that our words have power in them power to bless or curse life or death to encourage or to tear down be careful with your words if you're going to live in wisdom. Verse 13, and now it says, Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to such and such city and spend a year there and engage in business and make a profit. Yet you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. You're just a vapor, James says, that appears for a little while, and then you vanish away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live, and also do this or do that. Now, little history on this scripture. Uh, there was Jewish merchants at the time that had become Christians, and these Jewish merchants were going all throughout the Roman Empire and they were doing well. They were making some money. And they were do- entrepreneurs They were going to different cities and they were establishing their businesses as the Roman Empire evolved and they were-, they were wealthy. And James is speaking to them a little bit throughout the book of James as the diaspora was happening and all these Christians were being scattered across the Roman Empire and he's warning the Jewish merchants that were part of the church, hey, don't just make your own plans. Learn to make your plans dependent upon the will of God. Be people that are seeking God's will and not just your own will. And didn't Jesus set the example of that? When he was about to face the face cross at the Garden of Gethsemane, didn't he say, Father, let this cup pass from me, but not my will be done? But what did he say? Your will be done, Lord. It actually says in the book of John that Jesus said, my food is to do the Father's Will. And if you're going to live in wisdom, a part of living in wisdom is this, is we are people that aren't just doing what we want to do and making our own plans and then asking God to bless our mess that we made because we made plans without his direction. No, if you're living in wisdom, here's what you do. You learn to seek God's will, and you learn to go with the direction that God is leading, and then God will bless those plans. There's a great book on that, by the way, if you want to do some more study on that. It's called Experiencing God. By Henry Blackaby. And he, the whole thesis of experiencing God is, as part of our experiential relationship with God is He wants to lead us. And He doesn't want us just to make our own plans. And then go our own way, and then after we're in this mess, because we didn't seek God's direction, ask him to bless our mess. No, he doesn't want us to do that. What God wants us to do is God wants us to seek his direction, seek his will, and then go in the direction, the thesis of the book of experience of God is if you get God's will and you go in the direction that God sets for you, your, your, your direction will be blessed, because you're right in the center of God's will. So it's important to do that. I've, I've been on both sides of the coin, too. <laughs> I've done things where I just jumped into things. I didn't seek God's will. I wasn't dependent on God's will. And then I was in a mess. I remember when I was uh, pastoring our our second church and just getting started in Oshkosh, Wisconsin. And I just had this brilliant idea that we were going to buy this little business. And the business was going to support our whole ministry. And we would be off to the races and have a, a great business. The only problem was I didn't do my research. And I bought a frozen yogurt business in one of the coldest places in the United States. And it was great during the summer. We were right by the college campus and man I just come from Southern California and frozen yogurt was big and I said this is gonna be great. We'll convince all these college students to be healthy and eat frozen yogurt and everything else. And it was great until October hit. And there was forty below windshield for six months. And no one eats frozen yogurt when it's freezing. I remember it was so cold that first winter. I remember going, this is back when I had hair. I remember taking a shower, going outside, and my hair froze. Oh. And then I realized that the frozen yogurt's not going to be a big hit when it's four below windshill. And we, get, we, we, we barely survived the winter with that business and the Lord rescued us and someone came in out of the blue and said, we want to buy your yogurt shop and make it a substation kind of place. And I said, praise the Lord! And we sold our business. Got out unscathed, barely. But that mess was there because I didn't seek God's will. I didn't seek God's direction. I just jumped into something rather than being dependent upon God's will. Now, I've gone the other way, though, too. There's been times where God's... Clearly led me by his will and I've discerned his will and it was blessed I remember when we first were being led here to South Carolina to start Calvary Chapel Lexington I remember we did kind of an investigative trip and we were seeking God's will and we were praying we were saying God where do you want us in Columbia, South Carolina and we we did a three day trip where we checked out Irmo, we went to Northeast Columbia we went to downtown by the USC and we kept praying and God where do you want us And then I remember that third day we were about to leave, and we we discerned it wasn't God's will for any of those places, and then we drove on Highway 1 into Lexington, South Carolina, and we drove past that old mill, the old mill, and as soon as we drove into Lexington, I looked at Heidi, she looked at me, this is it. God wants us here to start the next church here. And we were directed by God to Lexington, and as we got directed here, it was amazing, because God just stepped by step the last 23 years has blessed has blessed and blessed because we're in god's will doing this so as we get in god's will we will be blessed as we're directed by him but we need to discern and be dependent upon god's will in our life and get direction now question how do we get god's will How do we discern God's will? How do we get in the center of God's will? I'll give you four ways. If you're taking, actually, I'll give you five ways. If you're taking notes, I'll give you five ways of discerning God's will and being directed by God's will. The first thing is submit to it. The Bible says submit to God. Resist the devil and he flew from you. And if you're going to be in the center of God's will, you've got to be people that are willing when God directs you into his will, you go. And you submit to God's will. The second thing is always put your decisions in God's will through the filter of God's word. Because here's what I see. Some Christians make their decisions based upon their emotions and their feelings and not the filter of God's word. And they make mistakes. They get outside of God's will because they're going by their feelings. Oh, my husband and I, we don't get along. We're getting a divorce. Was there any biblical grounds for it? No. I just don't like the guy anymore. Is that what God's word said we're supposed to do? Well, we got, we got irreconcilable differences. Welcome to marriage. God's will is that even with irreconcilable dis- differences, deal with it. Because what did Jesus say? What God has joined together? What does God's word say? Let no man separate. And so we work it out. Now, I understand biblical grounds for, for divorce. I understand when there's adultery and there's affairs. The Bible says it's wrong except for those cases. I understand if you've got an unbelieving spouse that leaves you and abandons you. That's, that's biblical grounds for divorce. But otherwise, stick with it. Because God's will is what God has joined together, let no man separate. That's how we discern God's will. Submit to it, but also put it through the filter of God's word and make sure that God's word is, is giving you direction and not your feelings and your emotions. Another way that we can discern God's will is, is also prayer. What do we learn in James 1.5? If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. and he will give it to you generously and without reproach. So you pray. And then the fourth way we discern God's will is, is being led by the Holy Spirit. Colossians 3.15 says, Let the peace of Christ rule in your heart. And what that means is the peace of Christ guides us in our decisions. How does the peace of Christ do that? Because when you pray about something, you seek God's will, God will give you a peace. And then that peace guides you in his will. And don't go against the peace. If God's giving you peace about the decision, and it's in according to God's word, go with the peace. But then the last thing, the first, fifth thing for discerning God's will is this, is get counsel, godly counsel. Go to people you trust that are godly people, that are wise people, and say, hey, I'm making this life decision right here. Give me some, give me some counsel. Because Proverbs says, in a multitude of counselors, there's wisdom. Get counsel from godly people. So all ways of discerning God's will. And we're to be people that are discerning God's will. The problem these merchants had here in James was they were just making all their own decisions. We'll go to this city, make a lot of money. Then we'll go to this city, make a lot of money. And, and, then, and then what they're being confronted with is you don't know what God's will is here. And by the way, your life is just a vapor. You can be here today and gone tomorrow. So here's the, here's the next point, next bullet point right in that scripture also is if you want to live in wisdom. Not only be dependent in discerning God's will, but also be people. Listen, you need to be people that realize life is short, and live live appropriately because life is short. What does it say? Life is it's a vapor. The word vapor, there, mist. It's kind of like a fog in the morning. You go, you drive to uh, uh, drive to work, whatever else. And there's a fog, and it's a mist. And then by the time the sun comes out, what happens to the mist? It's gone. Newsflash, that's our lives. Here today, gone tomorrow, live appropriately. And the older I get, the faster it goes. I remember when I was a kid, it seemed like summers were forever. Do you remember that? I mean, you'd start in the in, in, uh, beginning of June and it's summer, and it seemed like forever until school started again. And then school would start, and the, the school year was even longer. I mean, it seemed like some, some, some of my school years seemed like eternity. I'll, I'll tell you, one year, was, it was third grade. I, still re, I don't remember any other elementary age uh, uh, stu, uh, teacher's names. I remember this teacher's name. Her name was Mrs. Curtis. And one of the reasons I remember her name is because I was kind of a class clown a little bit, like to talk a lot and stuff, and it hasn't changed much. But I, I, anyways, Mrs. Curtis... This is back in the days when you get in trouble for discipline. And Mrs. Curtis used to, when I'd make too much noise or talk too much, she used to take me by my ear to the front of the room. still remember that. Pulled. This didn't happen just once. It happened all year long. It was one of the longest years of my life. But that's when you're young. What's happening now? Hyperspeed. It's amazing. I, my cousin, who's a senior pastor, actually of a Christian Reformed church up in New York, he, he texted me this. This week and said, "Hey, we're doing family vacation. We're driving through Carolina, and we want to stop at Fort Hoppy and see see you guys." I said, "Great! It seems like you were just here. It would be good, great to see you again." He goes, "No, I wasn't just here. It was ten years ago the last time we saw you guys. My son was a preschooler, three year old. Now he's a teenager." I go, "Are you serious, Dirk? His name is Dirk. I go, Are you serious? It's been ten years. It's like shoo! Life is flying by. Life is short. It's a vapor. We need to live appropriately." With the idea, life is short. I was, I was reminded of that again this week also because when I was in high school and in college, my sport was gymnastics, men's gymnastics. And, and my guy, my, the guy that I just looked to and, and was the Michael Jordan of gymnastics at the time, his name was Kurt Thomas. Kurt Thomas was an amazing, incredible all-around, athlete, all-around gymnast, and he actually... Uh, was training at the end of my high school career at Indiana State, and he was about to go to 1980 Olympics, and they boycotted the Olympics, and because of that, he he would have won like five, six gold medals. I I had the privilege when I was in high school of being recruited by his college, and they they flew me to uh, Indiana State with another uh, guy from Chicago, and we actually got to work out together with Kurt Thomas. I'm telling you, the guy was not human. He was like Superman to me. I mean, he would do stuff that just wasn't possible for a human to do. But I read this week that he died this week. 64 years old, brain aneurysm killed him. And I was reminded once again life is short, and I need to live appropriately. That's Kurt Thomas, by the way. It's called the Iron Cross. He would do those with it. I have thinking about it. He could do that in his sleep. But, anyways, so I was reminded this week life is short. How am I supposed to live with life being short? Matthew six thirty three, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and then all things will be added on to us. How am I to live knowing that life is just a vapor? I'm not just to live for this stuff of this world. I'm going to live for eternity. This world and this lifetime is just a speck on the time span, time span of eternity, and I need to live with eternity in mind. Apostle Paul was great at this, and he said this about this very thing. 2 Corinthians four sixteen. he said, Therefore we do not lose heart, but though our outer man is the king, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. For momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory, far beyond all comparison. And while we look not at the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are what? So how do we live for eternity? while keeping our focus on eternity. And listen, you want to live for eternity? Prioritize two things, faith and family. Prioritize two things, your relationship with Jesus Christ, your faith relationship with Jesus Christ, and then people. Because your relationship with Jesus Christ and people are the only thing that's going to last. Oh, one other thing that's going to last too, right here, word of God. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will never pr- pass away. So prioritize your faith, your relationship with Jesus. Prioritize people that you care about and people of the world, because only people are going to last for eternity, and prioritize the word of God. And then you're going to live appropriately with the fact that life is short. And we so should, we, should, we should live for eternity and for the things of the spirit rather than just the things of this world. And then it goes on, verse 17. Therefore, to one who knows the right thing to do, Oh, I'm sorry, verse 16. But as it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. Here's the other thing the merchants were doing. They're being prideful. They're boasting in their riches, in their arrogance. And if you want to live in wisdom, the Bible says live in humility. Because before honor comes humility. And we're told in Micah 6 8, God has shown us what's required of us. But to do justice, to love mercy, and to what? Walk humbly with your God. And listen, Christians, if you want to live in wisdom, not only do you live in, live in humility, but also if you're going to brag about something, brag about God. Brag about how great our God is, not how great you are. Brag about the cross and what Jesus Christ did in the cross for your sins. If we're going to brag about something, let's brag about God. That's why I love that song, how great is our God. Paul had some things to say about this also. He said this. He said, uh, 1 Corinthians 1 29 and 31, so that no one may boast before God, but by his doing you're on Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, and righteousness, and sanctification, and redemption, so that it is written, let him who boasts boast in the Lord. Right? Galatians six fourteen says, but may it never be that I would boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. So if we're going to live in wisdom, we're going to be people that aren't pointing to ourselves. We're pointing to Jesus. We're not living to glorify ourselves. We're living to glorify Jesus. And if we're going to boast about something, we're going to brag about something, it's going to be Jesus Christ and our Father in heaven and the cross that Jesus died for for us on. Amazing. Amazing. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a bunch of wretches like us. And let's boast about that cross. Let's boast about Jesus. Let's boast about our God. And let's remember that we only have one life to live and it'll soon be passed and only what we do for Christ is gonna last. Now, last point, let's look close it up now. Last verse, back to James chapter four is this. It says, therefore, to one who knows the right thing to do, doesn't do it. To him, it's sin. Now, there's two kinds of sin. There's sins of commission. Sins of commission are just blatant wrong things. Sins of commission are sins of like murder, anger. Um, We talked about gossip, stealing, lying. That's all sins of commission. But there's another kind of sins. You know that? It's called sins of omission. And that's what James is talking about right here. He's talking about when you know the right thing to do, and you don't do it, that's sin. It's sins of omission. And so what we need to do, if we're going to live in wisdom, is not only be directed by the Lord, but when the Lord directs us to do something that's the right thing to do, we don't do it. That's sin. We didn't realize that. So, what we need to do is we need to be people that are saying, okay, as the Lord directs me to help this person, I'm going to help them. As the Lord directs me to give and to be generous in my giving, I'm going to give. As the Lord directs me to be a a witness to somebody, even though it might be a little uncomfortable, or to invite someone to church or whatever else, we're going to still do it. We're still going to witness because the Lord's telling us this is the right thing to do, and we're going to do it even though we might not be comfortable and it might challenge our comfort zone, we're still going to do it. The Lord's telling you maybe to serve in an area. Oh, I'm not comfortable with that. Well, let's do it anyways if the Lord's telling you to do it. I saw a great video this week. I might have showed this before, but I want to show it again. And, and It's a video of a gentleman who was directed during World War II to help these kids get out of Nazi occupied Germany and out of concentration camps and be set free rather than die in concentration camps. And the Lord was, I think the Lord was directing him to use his wealth, he was a wealthy man. And the Lord was directing him to use his wealth to help all these kids get set free from concentration camps. Let's watch the video. It's a great example of being directed by the Lord and doing what the Lord says and not committing omission of direction from the Lord. You see that? The Lord directed him. The Lord told him to do this. And he didn't omit it. He did what the Lord directed him to do. Amen? That's wisdom right there. Can you imagine those 600 and some people, now adults, thanking him for not committing a sin of omission? And he could have said, oh, I'm just going to use my wealth for myself. No, he used his wealth to rescue these hundreds of kids and set them free. Amen? So five things we learned about wisdom this morning. Practical. Just points on practical Christian living. What were they? Let's go back. First of all, if you're going to live in wisdom, you don't speak down about people. You speak up. You're wise in your words. You build people up with your words. You bless people with your words. You don't speak against especially brothers and sisters in Christ. Number two, you're a seeker of God's will. You seek God's will. You don't just make your own plans. You seek God's direction in your life. Number three, you realize life is short and you live appropriately. You live for eternity and for the kingdom. Number four, we realize also that, hey, boasting and arrogance not a part of the Christian life. We're to walk humbly with our God. We're to be people that live in humility. And if we're going to boast about something, we're going to boast about God and the cross. And number five, we don't commit sins of omission. If we know the right thing to do, whether it's help or give or serve or use our gifting or whatever it's called, to maybe just to be a witness to somebody, maybe to just tell someone about Jesus, whatever the Lord's leading you to do, don't omit it. Go for it. Opens the door, go for it. Amen?